0: The first reading this morning comes from Exodus, Chapter 3. Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led his flock beyond the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flame of fire out of a bush. He looked and the bush was blazing, yet it was not consumed. Then Moses said, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. Then he said, come no closer, remove the sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He said further, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians, and to, and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. To the country of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. The cry of the Israelites has now come to me. I have also seen how the Egyptians oppressed them. So come, I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? He said, I will be with you, and this shall be a sign for you that it is I who sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God on this mountain.
1: Our second reading is from Psalm chapter 27 of David. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is my stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers do- assail me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and foes, they shall stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise up against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I ask of the Lord that will I seek after, to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will set me high on a rock. Now my head is lifted up above my enemies all around me and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord.
2: Good morning. So I have my work cut out for me today. I am supposed to give a little sermon on one of the most interesting and important passages in the Hebrew Bible. And Scott, Pastor Scott told me I'd have about eight minutes. Um, so wherever you are, Scott, I'll do my best to make sure that people have plenty of time for coffee and cookies. And if you're listening to this on a podcast, um, well, sorry you missed it. Um, now, um, I'm going to say a few things here. Um, and you, some of you who know me might be surprised that I'm actually not going to talk about the CLU garden. Even, even despite, um, even despite the the wonderful readings and and uh, and and um, uh, prayers, community prayers that we started out with, um, I'm actually going to start out by being a little, getting a little bit academic on you. So, um, you know, try not to let your eyeballs roll in the back of your heads and uh, stay with me for a little bit, and then we'll we'll see where we end up. Now, um, interpreters have called attention for a long time to the wondrous sight that Moses is said to have seen here at Mount Horeb, um, a burning bush that is not consumed. But as biblical scholar James Kugel once remarked, when one thinks a little bit about it, surely the creator of the universe could have chosen something more dramatic and impressive than a simple thorn bush that somehow keeps on burning. I I myself can't help but wonder, you know, um, why didn't Moses just sort of keep walking? Like, okay, whatever. You want to get my attention? Something a little more impressive, perhaps. Some early interpreters actually felt compelled to embellish the story precisely because they they perceived that it maybe wasn't quite so exciting. Um, According to one early writer, second century Jewish writer named Artapanas, who lived in Alexandria, northern Egypt, he said that fire actually appeared up out of the ground, just like a fire hole or something, out of the ground, um, though there was no firewood or any flammable substance anywhere near Moses. Um, Artapanis also said that Moses invented boats and weapons and philosophy, um, and that he conquered the Ethiopians and had them all circumcised. So whether we can trust uh, Artapanis' point on this uh, is is an open question. Others um, tried to embellish the story in a different way. They said that um, not only did the did the bush burn but all its leaves and shoots remained green and fresh throughout the whole time and it continued to blossom even. Um, we find this this statement in uh, early Jewish writers like Ezekiel the Tragedian or Josephus or in some later Jewish Midrashic works like Midrash HaGadol for example. Um, and here they play on a, a sort of play on words that would suggest from the Hebrew that um, that there's a connection here between the the burning and the blossoming of the bush. Interesting uh, in the Hebrew. Now some modern interpreters have pointed out that the story about the burning bush has some really distinctive language in the Hebrew as I've been mentioning. One of the most interesting possibilities is that the word is the word itself that the writer has chosen for this thorn bush. There are lots of words for bush in Hebrew but this particular one is, um, seems interesting. This word for bush appears only here and at the end of Deuteronomy, um, and the word is snah. Go ahead and say it with me, snah. Just kind of rolls right off the tongue, snah. Now, some people have noticed that this word for bush, snah, sounds a lot like the word Sinai, and that probably what the writer is doing here is signaling, doing a little bit of foreshadowing saying here, what's happening here at Horeb is looking forward to what will happen at Sinai. So if we fast forward in the book of Exodus, by the time we get to Exodus 19, the people are assembled around the foot of Mount Sinai and it's there that the covenant with the Israelites is made. It's there that the, that the beginning of the, um, you know, the, the, the Torah is sort of being given to Israel. Um, this is the place, right, Sinai is the place of the theophany, the manifestation of the divine to the Israelites. Um, so the, worst of the, the, the use of the word sneh here is, is interesting. Now, one thing that I would say here um, about this bush that it's, is that it seems to be um, about divine presence, and that's the thing that I'm going to continue to talk about this morning, this idea of divine presence. The author of Deuteronomy, as I said, was the only other one who used this word sneh, and he was probably familiar with this Exodus tradition. I think there's, it's pretty clear. Um, and he reworks it in some creative and interesting ways. At the end of Deuteronomy, in chapter 33, this sneh makes an appearance, though you wouldn't know it if you were to read many of the modern English translations of Deuteronomy. The NRSV, for example, reads this way. Blessed by the Lord be Joseph's land with the choice gifts of heaven above and the deep that lies beneath, with the choice fruits of the sun and the rich yield of the months, with the finest produce of the ancient mountains and the abundance of the everlasting hills, with the choice gifts of the earth and its fullness, and here's the sneh, and the favor of the one who dwells on Sinai, The editors of the NRSV justify the use of Sinai here by saying that the text has suffered in transmission, that this is the most probable reconstruction. But here the text in Hebrew clearly has sneh, not Sinai, and there actually aren't any other um, witnesses in other ancient manuscript traditions that say Sinai. So it's an interesting decision on the part of the editors. Um, God is here in this Deuteronomy passage literally Literally, I'm translating literally from the Hebrew, one who indwells, or rather, one who tabernacles a bush. Very interesting kind of language. The divine presence is bush, is bushside. I don't know how else to put that. There's no preposition. It's not in a bush. It's just bush. And according to Deuteronomy, this presence is connected with the abundance of the earth. Rotson shokni sneh. The favor of the one who tabernacles a bush. Okay, now back to the Exodus story for a moment. Moses says, I must turn aside and look at this great sight. More strange language. Was he not already looking at it? It said he was. Perhaps he was looking but not really seeing. And the Lord saw that he, Moses, had turned to look and he called Moses, Moses, Moses. So to get this straight, the turning of Moses prompts God to call out to him. I'll repeat that, the turning of Moses calls God to, uh, prompts God to call out to him. Moses turns, God calls in that order. And when God calls, Moses says, in Hebrew, he says, Hineni, here I am. This is the typical sort of prophetic response to God's call in the Hebrew Bible. We see it with Abraham, we see it with Samuel, we see see it all over. Hineni, here I am. God goes through a little refresher course here on whose God he is exactly, and then he tells Moses that he will send him to Pharaoh to announce the release of his people. Moses' reply, he says, who am I? Mia nohi who am I that I will go to Pharaoh? Now what's of course interesting here is that God does not answer Moses' question. He doesn't tell Moses who he is. He tells tells Moses who God is. He says, um, in Hebrew, he says, I am, I will be, hard to translate that exactly, with you. As it turns out, Though we didn't get that far in the text, in today's reading, <clears throat> this Ehyeh, this I will be, or I am, is the revelation of the divine name a couple of verses later. So when Moses says to God, when I go to the Israelites, who should I tell them sent me? God's reply is, tell them Ehyeh Asher Ehyeh sent you. Tell them I am who I am sent you. Um, So this essence of God, if you will, God's very name, is being, being with, being with you. So it's about divine presence. And those who turn and respond to the call can be transformed by this being with. Moses goes from wondering, who am I, to being who he becomes. So where is the divine presence? On Sinai? In a bush? All around us? In us? This is of course a very old question, and the Bible offers quite a few different answers to it. I myself have stopped waiting for a voice to speak to me, either in English or in Hebrew, um, to tell me where I should look to find God. If I turn, then I will see, in that order. I will see that all around me there are wondrous things. All around me there is an earth that urges toward life, but that is being destroyed by thoughtless and greedy human action. All around me, too, there are good people who are suffering, standing in need of deliverance from modern day pharaohs. And they need my solidarity and my assistance. All around me, things are calling out my name are they calling yours? Who am I? Echyeh imach, God says. I am with you. Where am I? I'm standing on holy ground. The very same adama or soil in Hebrew, from which God fashions adam, Adam, in the Garden of Eden story. As a human, I'm part of this adama, this... Um, Admat Kodesh in Exodus, this holy ground and all its creatures. Blessed by the Lord be this ground with the choice gifts of the earth and its fullness and the favor of the one who tabernacles in a bush that continues to burn. Amen.